0: To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor.
1: Hello friends, would you like to hear an amazing fact? In 2015, Guinness World Records identified ram India as the wettest place on earth. The region, about 4,600 feet above sea level, receives rainfall of 449 inches annually. That's almost 40 feet of rain a year, more than three times as much as Hilo, Hawaii, which is the wettest place in the United States. And that's just their average. In 1985, the region experienced a record-busting 1,000 inches of rain. The area is blessed with incredible flora and fauna, but you better bring your umbrella year-round. The torrential rains are caused by warm, moist winds carried from the Bay of Bengal that are funneled into a narrow zone of cool air over the Kashi Hills, thus continually transforming the moisture into mist and rain clouds. And it doesn't just rain, it pours. Any house with a tin roof becomes so loud it's virtually impossible to have a conversation. Many homes and schools use grass roofs to quiet the roar when it rains in a heavy way. During the monsoon season, it's not uncommon to have 40 days of unrelenting rain in Masanram. Fortunately, the land is steep and well-drained, so it never floods. I even heard Pastor Ross say, actually have trouble getting drinking water because it, it rains so much and it all just runs down the hill. They've not been able to build a containing pond. What do they say? Water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. That's right. <laughs>
2: You know, Pastor Doug, we were just talking about it here. You have a place that has so much water, so much rain, and then you have other places on the planet that is just uh, dying for rain. I mean, think California and the western part of the United States, it's been uh, dry, and of course you have fires as a result, and yet there's some places that uh, just have a lot of rain. Of course, you've been in Hawaii, I have. We've been in Hilo, and um, it does rain there a lot,
1: almost every yeah. day. When I was there, it rained. It's very common. The afternoon, the clouds gather and and it rains. mm -hmm. And uh, I was there once on vacation with our family. Wouldn't you know, it was a vacation. And Hawaii had experienced 40 days and 40 nights of rain. It wasn't continual, but for 40 days it rained. Mm -hmm. Which makes us think of what story in the Bible.
2: Whenever you talk about 40 days of rain, you think of Noah and the flood. Now, of course, fortunately, we're not going to have a worldwide flood. But yes, our 40 days of rain, you think of Noah um, but Noah is also used in the Bible, not only connected with the rain, Pastor Doug, but he's also used with sort of our time and things that are taking place
1: just before Jesus comes. Yeah, the Lord said that uh, as it was in the days of Noah, the conditions that brought on the destruction of the world back then will be replicated. And the Bible tells us that, you know, violence filled the world at that time. Of course, we've got, you know, war and, and violence on the streets and, in, and uh, in on the battlefront, uh, as well as immorality. And Jesus said the days would be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot, meaning Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, that kind of describes conditions in the world today. You can read this in Luke 17, 26. Jesus is speaking and he said, As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate and they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. Not that there's anything wrong with eating and drinking. He's talking about to excess. Um, marrying wives giving in marriage marriage and divorce, it's talking about. Until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. So and they did not know, both in uh, in in Sodom, in Gomorrah, in the among the people living in Noah's day, the sun was shining for seven days before the flood. And uh then boom, it happened. And Jesus tells us, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, he says, speaking of the last days remember Lot's wife. Uh, The people then didn't know it was their last night, their last day. And we've got an offer that I think talks about that. The book is called The Last Night on Earth. And it looks at these prophecies
2: in the Bible. They talk about end time events. We'll send it to anyone for free. All you have to do is call the number 800-835-6747. You can ask for offer number 101 or ask by name. The book is called The Last Night on Earth. We'll be happy to send it to anyone in North America. Again, that number is 800-835-6747. That is our resource phone line. This is a live program, and if you have a Bible question, the phone line here to the studio is 800-463-7297. That's 800-463-7297. Uh, Pastor Doug, we were just talking before the program. We mentioned we haven't had a chance to actually do a live program sort of on and off for a couple of weeks, but it's good to be back. And finally, we're able to take these Bible questions. as sort of a Amen. international Bible study. So if you have a Bible-related question frame, call 800-463-7297. Well, before we go to the phone lines, we always like to start with a word of prayer. So mm-hmm. we'll do that now. Dear Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to study together. And Lord, we ask your blessing upon this program. And also those who are listening, wherever they might be, lead us into a clearer and a full understanding of the Bible. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to go to the phone lines. Our first caller this evening is Glenn listening in Ohio. Glenn, welcome to the program.
3: Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you very much for taking my call. Yes and it concerns the question of a translation of the bible which means much to me and i think it's a it's a significant mistranslation it's 1 john 5:18 there's two sections to the verse in king james it says he who is born of god does not sin but i heard a translation the other day on radio 74 that said he that abideth with god does not sin and uh, that I think that it's diluting a truth, and that's you know when one is born again. And uh, I, I this question that my question is you know the validity of that mis of that translation.
1: Yeah, well, there's of course several translations translate this differently. Um, I typically read the King James or New King James. I just you got me curious, and I opened up the English Standard Version, and here it reads. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And so I think, that when I've looked at this verse before, and Pastor Ross may also know about it, uh, the verb that is used there for sin is talking about practicing sin. So when we're born again, we do not live a life of practicing sin. It doesn't mean that if a person is born again that they are incapable of sin or they may not stumble and fall. So is it does that make sense? you have the second part of that that says that he that is begotten of God
3: keepeth himself, that the evil one touch him not, and it doesn't sound like there's that much difference between the first part and the second part if you say if you relate the first part to does not continue to sin, and being born of God to me is the ultimate, and I understand that some people even go so far as to translate that he who is born of God cannot sin. And that sounds like that would be the truth of the matter. Once you're born of God, there's no sin to be done. It makes a lot of sense to me. And when I heard that, it kind of diluted that truth about when one is born again.
1: Yeah, well, in the King James, we know that whoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keeps himself that the wicked one touches him not. And I think that's just telling us that when a person is born again, they do not live a life of sin. But again, I don't think you can use this verse to say that once a person is born again, they are sinless from then until their death or Jesus returns. So is that what you're wondering, or are you saying that? Well, I think that the thing that's deluded is, my, my
3: personally, I believe that a person is saved and born again like Yeshua was, and that's by a resurrection, and that's going to be at the second coming, and from that point forward, we're eternally secure and there's no more no when you're born of god there, there's no more sin there that, that that's my thinking okay
2: yeah i mean you're the point you're mentioning there, talking about the resurrection i think we're all in agreement there that when jesus comes and the dead in christ are resurrected absolutely sin is no more eventually there is the final destruction of sin and sinners but we can be spiritually born again now we can be uh, set free jesus said if the son sets you free you shall be free indeed well, once again, the Bible also warns us that says, let him who thinks he stands takes heed, lest he fall. So, you know, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and to death. And then we find out a little later in the same chapter, he denies Christ. So we can never be self-conscious and think somehow we can overcome in our own strength. It is Christ that works in us.
1: So we've got to keep trusting in him. And we have a book that I, I think would uh, answer this. It gives a really balanced view and it, it's got a provocative title. Is it possible to live without sinning. Mm -hmm. And uh, Joe Cruz, the author of this booklet, he goes through the scriptures and talks about what it means to live a holy life And he deals with the subject of sinlessness as well. So folks would really enjoy that. It's the book called, Is It Possible to Live Without Sinning? If
2: you'd like to receive the book, all you need to do is call the number 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the book, Is It Possible to Live Without Sinning? We'll be able to send that to anyone in North America. If you're outside of North America, you'd like to read the book, just go to the Amazing Facts website, amazingfacts.org, and you can read it on our free uh, library there on our website. Thanks for your call, Glenn. We've got Brittany listening in California.
1: Brittany, welcome to the program. Hey. (laughs) Hi. Thanks for calling. And your question?
4: Yeah, Yeah, my question is, why is the name in only in John's Gospel and not in the others?
1: My guess is when you read the Gospel of John, John seems to have more personal information on what's happening with the court and the trial, because you'll read that the other disciples forsook Christ and fled. Peter, he stayed outside with the the servants of the high priest. John knew somebody that was uh, related to the high priest. He went in. He saw these things firsthand. He gives a little more information about what was the name of the servant that had his ear whacked off. But uh, that that's my understanding. Mm-hmm.
2: I think he's just adding some additional details there as to who this person was. You want to pass it out. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us, but you wanted to have your ear cut off and then healed miraculously by Jesus. Oh, Did this Malchus ever become a believer? I don't know. You know the Bible does say that there were priests that eventually became believers after Christ rose from the dead through the preaching of the apostles. So we don't know if this uh, Malchus, a servant of one of the priests, the high priest servant, the Bible doesn't say.
1: His name, I just looked it up out of curiosity. The name Malchus means the counselor. It uh, means a reigning counselor. Hm, interesting.
2: All right. Well, thanks for your call, Brittany. We've got Caleb listening in New York. Caleb, welcome to the program.
5: Hello. Thank you, Pastor Ross and Pastor uh, and, and Pastor Doug Bessler. Thank you for picking up my phone.
1: Uh-huh. Thanks for calling.
5: So uh, my, question, my question is, I had a dream the other night that really scares me. I'm um. I wonder if does God speak to us in dreams? Because as you know, the return of Christ is described in the Bible as a um a wedding, and we are the the church of the bridegroom. And the other night, I had a dream, and my brother. I have a brother who's not really religious. He doesn't really go to church, which which is that's. I'm not judging him. You know, I'm not. I'm no better than him. But um, I had a dream. we were supposed to go to a wedding, and he made it there, and. I was late, I was running late, and I've been nervous and about this, and I was running late and i i didn't the dream ended like i I don't know if I made it. I was just wondering does is that like a sign of God telling me you know get my life together, or is this sign saying I may not make it to heaven? Does God do that? Would he do that?
1: Let me give you a scripture, of course, I'm not gonna claim I've got the the gift of interpretation. But uh, it does tell us in the book of Joel, chapter two, and you look at verse 28, and it'll come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. So uh, having dreams or God giving dreams, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that God has ever curtailed that ability to speak to people through dreams. I mean, he spoke to Joseph through a dream. God even spoke to Pontius Pilate through a dream and said, no, his wife, his wife, rather. And Pilate's wife was told, have nothing to do with that just man. Uh, So, and she wasn't a Christian. So God can certainly speak uh, to you through dreams. And maybe the Lord is telling you that, uh, yeah, I don't think God would give you a dream just to tell you you're doomed. He probably would give you a dream to tell you that, you know, this could be your fate if you don't repent and come back to him. What? But I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to pretend I'm Daniel or Joseph and I understand what that dream means. That would be between you and the Lord. But yes, the Bible says God does speak through dreams. Mm-hmm.
2: And there's different times in our life probably that we can look back and we can see how God was speaking to us, maybe through a friend, maybe through circumstances, maybe through a dream or an impression. And it's God wanting to get our attention, trying to warn us, saying, you know, you're doing something wrong or repent or this is the way I want you to go so um i think we need to be sensitive to that of course we have got to test everything by the word of god i mean you you don't have a dream and then if it contradicts the bible say, well this must be god no god will never contradict the bible but we do want to be sensitive to that
1: yeah i've heard uh, a number of testimonies in recent years and this you know this is not what you base your theology on of uh, people like for instance in islam and someone will have a dream and the lord speaks to him and says jesus appears to them and they had no inclination they weren't reading the bible and he says i am the truth read the bible and they say god gave me a dream and it brings them to the lord it's hard to question that i mean it seems like it's valid so all right well thanks for your call caleb uh again friends if you have
2: a bible question the phone line is 800-463-7297 that'll get you right here in the studio 800-463-7297. 800-463-7297. We've got Aaron listening in uh, North Dakota. Aaron, welcome to the program.
5: Hey, thank you. Thank you for calling. A uh, quick question. In uh, Matthew twenty four twenty. 20, it says, And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. It's obvious that you don't want to be running in the winter, But why would you not want to run on the Sabbath?
1: Well, uh, for one thing, you know, the Sabbath is supposed to be a a day of rest. You wouldn't want it to be a day of anxiety and fleeing for your life. So it would sort of be the antithesis of the purpose of the Sabbath. Uh, You don't want to be in a situation where you're challenged with that kind of decision. You know, Uh, soldiers are ready to go to war. But uh, in Israel... They they really don't like going to war on Sabbath, but they will if they have to. Um, and so, and, and I've heard people say that this is a dual prophecy because uh, sometimes on Sabbath, it talks about Nehemiah, they threatened to shut the gates on Sabbath because the people were going out and buying and selling. I don't think that's the best argument for this verse because Jesus is looking down in history uh, hundreds if not thousands of years. Um, so I think mainly he's just saying, You know, fleeing for your life is not uh, a good, restful practice. And in the
2: immediate context of the verse, it's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem where the Romans surrounded the city and um, the idea that the gate would be open during the week and then closed on the Sabbath. Well, that doesn't really make sense. If the enemy is outside the walls, the gate would have been closed all the time. So, this wasn't just to uh, an admonition that pray that you don't have to flee on the Sabbath because the gate would be closed. But rather, the idea is if you're going to be keeping the Sabbath, which the disciples of Christ and the Christians were to be doing, and this is some seventy AD, yeah, it means that the Sabbath was still a special day, a special mm-hmm. day of worship and communion,
1: and so it has relevance and importance, right? And not in the winter because there's no food in the fields uh, to glean or harvest.
2: And according to your history, Pastor Doug, I don't believe the, Christi- the Christians who recognize that sign and listened to the words of Jesus when it came time for them to flee from Jerusalem. History bears the fact that they didn't have to flee in winter, neither on the Sabbath. So their prayers were answered. Mm-hmm. God took That's care right. of them. Next caller that we have is Juan listening from Massachusetts. Juan, welcome to the program.
5: Hi, thank you, guys. Um, yep. First, I want to say I'm, I'm a big fan of Pastor uh, Bachelor and uh, you, Ross, and I pray that God keeps uh, blessing you both. Thank you. Is it possible in today's day and age to be translated into heaven um, before Jesus comes like Enoch and Elijah did?
1: Well, uh, the Bible says all things are possible with God. Uh, You know, that would certainly be the exception. Uh, The rule is it's appointed unto man once to die in the judgment unless you're alive when the Lord returns. Um, You know, someone might be caught up in vision, just as, you know, John was, and the prophets may be shown a vision of heaven, but to literally be taken up like Enoch, um, I don't anticipate that's going to happen very much in the last days, especially now because people would assume that the secret rapture had taken place. Mm-hmm. And only one person was ready <laughs> so, anyway what any thoughts on that
2: yeah i'm just going to add to that it's significant that Elijah was taken to heaven, and that Moses, who died and was resurrected and was taken to heaven, and they served as types of, for the second coming when Christ comes again you 'll have those who will be translated without seeing death symbolized by Elijah. And you have those who are resurrected, symbolized by Moses.
1: And Enoch, it says he was the seventh from Adam. And he was so he's up. like the last generation. That's right. He's resurrected. So there are all three types. mm mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. There's significance to that. So them. God
1: doesn't really need the types anymore, so probably not.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we're close enough to the end of time now. You that, just say, wait uh, for the real just thing. Just wait, yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we're <right>. almost there.
1: <laughs> all right.
2: Thank you for your call, Juan. We've got uh, Phil listening in uh, Arizona. Phil, welcome to the program.
3: My question is... Um, the question is speaking in tongues. Um, I've been told that it's evidence that you have the Holy Spirit, and it's something that um, it's needed. I guess it's proof of the Holy Spirit. I've heard people that were speaking in tongues, but, you know, couldn't understand what they're saying, and there was no one there pretty much a kind of interpreted to what's going on. I thought it was more along the lines I read in Acts that, there was a myriad of people there at the time of speaking different languages, and they were to talk to all of them in their native tongues. So if you can explain that to me, I would appreciate it.
1: Yeah, uh, speaking in tongues is a gift of the Spirit that is often misunderstood. It, it's To make it very simple, Jesus told the apostles, and you'll read this in Mark chapter 16, he said, you will speak with other tongues. Uh, the Holy Spirit would come on them, and one of the signs would be they would speak with other tongues. What does that mean? Well, they were bright, uh, but not formally educated, and very few of them spoke other languages. They all probably spoke Aramaic, maybe a little bit of Latin and Greek because they were occupied by those two forces. Um, But on the day of Pentecost, the Lord miraculously gave the apostles and those in the upper room the ability to speak in other foreign tongues, meaning tongues of people in the world, that they had not formally studied or known because they were visiting Jews from every nation under heaven, this is Acts chapter 2, in Jerusalem, worshiping on Pentecost, they heard the disciples speaking in their tongues from the countries where they had come, and they accepted Jesus and then took the gospel back with them to these other countries. So it was a brilliant way to spread the gospel. They didn't have time to go through a a cram course in foreign languages. The Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Um, And when you read in 1 Corinthians 14... Uh, it makes an emphasis there that we're really not to be speaking unless people understand what we're saying. Paul said, I'd rather say five words with my understanding that I might instruct others in a 10,000 in an unknown tongue. And he says, if the uh, trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for the battle? And if you're going to speak in a different language, make sure that it's translated, and uh, you may need two translators. And he's talking to the Corinthian church, where there were multiple language groups there, and the services had become very confusing. And so Paul only addresses speaking in tongues here in First Corinthians. Um, Peter never talks about it. Um, John never talks about it. Matthew never talks about it. Luke never, other than Acts chapter 2. Luke doesn't talk about it. I guess Acts uh, 10 and Acts 19 tell of a case where they spoke in tongues. But there are other language groups present. So the, the fruit of the Spirit is not tongues. The evidence of the Spirit are the gifts of the Spirit love joy jesus said you'll know them not by the fruits but by the gifts love joy peace galatians chapter five is where you find the gifts of the spirit that's the evidence for the holy spirit and if you think of
2: the word tongue just think of the word language yeah. and the purpose of a language is to communicate and in this case it's communicating the gospel right and it was demonstrated in a beautiful way there on pentecost we had representatives from the whole realm they heard them preach the gospel in their own language they were able to take it back and share it and pastor Doug, Are there still needs today for the same gift, the gift of tongues? Is that still relevant, or does God not give the gift of tongues anymore, or does he give it in a different way?
1: Yeah, well, sometimes I think people get the gift of tongues in a practical sense in that they've got uh, a natural ability Mm -hmm. for languages, and they're blessed with the ability to uh, translate and speak. I saw some people in church just uh, yesterday that uh, they spoke like four languages, and it's always very impressive to me when people are have that gift. Um, I did an amazing fact one time about a man that spoke about a hundred languages. And they just picked it up they never had a photographic memory anyway we have a book on that that talks about the gift of tongues and it's called understanding tongues we'll send you a free copy
2: the number to call for that is 800-835-6747 that is our resource phone line you can ask for the book it's called understanding tongues and we'll be happy to send this out to anyone who calls and asks again that number is 800-835-6747 and as we've said before if you're outside of north america we're unable to send you the book but you can go to the Amazing Facts website. You can actually read the book there online. And I believe, Pastor Doug, you've got a sermon dealing with the subject of speaking in tongues. What does the Bible have to say about that? And that's available even if one were to go to YouTube and just type in Doug Batchelor speaking in tongues and I think...
1: Probably something like that and it'll come up. It's amazing to me how Google works (laughs) or YouTube, yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Looking at the the time, Pastor Doug, we probably don't have time to take another call before we take our our mid-program break. But just a few things to kind of let our listeners know about There's a lot happening here at the amazing facts ministry and uh, we just finished up a weekend dealing with a special summit that we did right here at amazing facts focused on the youth and the power of the story and i believe all of those uh, programs are archived uh, again at youtube or at the granite Bay, uh, facebook page if anyone missed any of those presentations they can actually go and take a look at it and it was a blessing we had people come from across the country And just a a very powerful weekend.
1: Yeah, it was really nice. We had some great speakers there. And uh, I think that we've got a new website that's uh, developing. It's afyouth.com. And uh, that's AF meaning Amazing Facts Youth. And so we'll have uh, more resources that will be growing for young people. This sort of grew out of the pandemic. We had an international youth Bible study. And it kept growing. And last year we had our first youth conference. And the church was full. And it was full again last year. Uh, yesterday and last night for this program so uh, yeah just go take a look at those programs you'll find them at uh, you can actually go to the granite bay hilltop website i know they're archived there and they are probably also archived on youtube as well
2: and eventually they will be on the amazing facts website on that youth uh, amazing facts youth website I think they're busy editing some of the programs, and they'll actually be available there. So folks can take a look at it, and they will be blessed. Just a great variety of, of speakers and wonderful topics.
1: Yep. Amen. Now, we are going to come back in just a moment with more Bible questions. Don't forget, this is not something you can only listen to. You know, people are listening on land-based or satellite radio across the country. But you can also watch uh, the programs are airing not only on the um, Amazing Facts television station AFTV, but you can also see it on the amazing facts facebook page you can join us here in the studio also on the doug bachelor facebook page and we'll be back in just a few minutes take some more bible questions
0: stay tuned bible answers live will return shortly would you like to know god's plan for our troubled world and solutions for your life's challenges Beautifully redesigned and updated, Amazing Facts 27 Bible Study Guides provide straightforward Bible-based answers that are enlightening, encouraging, and easy to understand, giving you real, relevant Bible answers to questions like, how can I have healthier relationships, when will Jesus come, and much more. Order yours today by visiting afbookstore.com or by calling 800-538-7275.
1: Every year, 40,000 souls in North America end their own lives. Suicide is a terrible tragedy. And while it's difficult to talk about, we need to face it together as Christians. That's why in my new book, Choosing Life, I share the biblical perspective about suicide, answering some difficult questions about faith and salvation along the way, and offering practical tips that should help and encourage others. Jesus wants us to choose an abundant life in Him.
0: Are you looking for a simple way to share your faith? If you've ever found yourself tongue-tied when trying to explain what the Bible teaches about the Sabbath, the second coming, or the afterlife, you'll love the new Amazing Facts tracts. These colorful tracts feature easy-to-read type and are large enough to grab everyone's attention, but small enough to fit in your pocket to carry with you wherever you go. Eleven key Bible teachings are available now. Purchase a sample bundle to see what fits your needs, then buy them in bulk and save. Equip yourself and your church to reach your community with the eye-catching Amazing Facts Tracts. Amazing Facts Tracts. Easy to read, easy to share. To order your sample bundle, call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com and get ready to share your faith like never before. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live.
1: Welcome back, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. If you've joined us along the way, this is a live, international, interactive Bible study, and you are invited to call in with your Bible questions. And Pastor Ross, we've got uh, several lines open now. You know, we took a couple weeks off because we were traveling. I was in Ireland for two weeks and uh, sent greetings to the people there. We even have people there that watch the programs. It's usually archived, but they watch the programs over there in Ireland. And... um, so, you know, when you do a couple of reruns, then people think you're not really alive anymore. But we are live. So if you have a Bible question, call us tonight. That number, 800 god says or 800-463-7297 is the same number. I am Doug Bachelor.
2: My name is John Ross. And as you mentioned, Pastor Doug, we're not only uh, on the radio. Uh, we can also, you can also tune in through Facebook, through YouTube. Uh, we're also on the Amazing Facts television uh network or channel, so many ways that a person can participate in this live international Bible study. All right, phone number again is 800-463-7297. That'll bring you here into the studio with your Bible question. Next caller that we have is Joe listening in Colorado. Joe, welcome to the program.
1: Hello, pastors. Thank you so much for taking my call. Yes, sir.
3: Yeah, so my question uh, refers to uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verse uh, verse 22. 231. Um, I'll start here. It says, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning, or ever the earth was. So I understand is Jesus is Lord, and this is Lord speaking right here. So who did the Lord possess? That, I, I just... I'm having trouble understanding that passage.
1: Do not be troubled. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. John chapter 14. Let's go back to the first verse in chapter eight. And here, Solomon, this is a whole soliloquy about wisdom. And what you're reading is part of this. Notice it says, does not wisdom cry out? And understanding lift up her voice she takes her stand on the high hill he goes through and he compares wisdom to several things he compares wisdom to a woman he compares wisdom to a son uh, and so the whole passage is talking about wisdom this is not talking about god creating jesus it's just talking about the attributes my fruit you look at verse 19 is better than gold yes fine gold and revenue of choice silver the lord possessed me in the beginning of his way now i'm in verse 22 talking about wisdom before his works of old I've been established from everlasting from the beginning this is all about wisdom and people sometimes just read these verses and they don't realize that this is a whole passage talking about how valuable wisdom is of course coming from Solomon the wisest king that would be appropriate does that that make sense
3: yes it makes a whole yeah it makes a lot of sense thank you
1: all right hey thank you so much Next caller that
2: we have is Steve, listening from Missouri. Steve, welcome to the program.
3: Yes, thank you, pastors. Um, My question is, I'm kind of confused about uh, the city of David. Uh, In the Old Testament, it seems like it was Jerusalem when he he conquered Jerusalem. It said it became the city of David. And then when we go to Luke, I think it's when the angels are talking to the shepherds, it says, uh, your Savior is born in the city of David. And then that's Bethlehem. So can you clear that up for me?
1: Yeah, you've asked a good question that I've had myself. Yeah, I wish I could say that I uh, know all the answers, but I've noticed that also. Sometimes it refers to as Jerusalem as the city of David. Sometimes, uh, one time or a couple of times, it talks about David being, of course, born in Bethlehem, Jesus born in the city of David, meaning where David was born. David wanted his capital to be in Jerusalem. And then keep in mind, Bethlehem is not far from Jerusalem. So the phrase city of David is used for both cities. That's the only way I can answer that. And just to add to that, I think the
2: the phrase city of David with reference to Jerusalem was a temporary name because it was conquered, the old Jebusite fortress conquered by David, named it the city of David, but it didn't take long before it became known as Jerusalem. And then once it was sort of adopted as Jerusalem, the, the, rarely does, is it referred to as the city of David anymore. It served as Jerusalem, especially when the temple was built there as the dwelling place of God. So the city of David from that time onwards seems to be more related to Bethlehem, the birthplace of David, than actually Jerusalem, because right. Jerusalem replaced the city of David, so to speak.
3: Where, where was David buried? They buried all the kings in the city of david i thought they said that too yeah david is buried in jerusalem in jerusalem okay
1: so they do refer to it even after the death of david sometimes they refer to uh jerusalem as the city of david because it was the city he chose uh, as the capital and where he chose to build the temple that was the love of his heart is to uh, have a temple for god's glory so i've just i've studied this and i've just seen it's interchangeable is the only thing that i can come up with sometimes it's talking about the city where david was born and calling Bethlehem a city back in David's day was sort of funny because it was like a little Pueblo. It wasn't very big. Uh, and then uh, later he moved the capital to Jerusalem. And that was called the City of David. But they're not far from each other either. And wasn't the City of David a portion
2: of Jerusalem? Wasn't the whole Temple Mount? Was the original Jebusite yeah, fortress, we and, and then it was expanded. It. Yeah, I remember in Jerusalem there was one area they referred to as more the city of David because he had built on part. to the Jebusite yep. city. Yeah, it's interesting. All right, thanks for your call, Steve. We've got uh, Becky listening from Michigan. Becky, welcome to the program.
5: Hello, how are you guys doing?
1: Doing well. How can we help you tonight?
3: um question is i'm i'm struggling with a diet i'm trying to lose weight to stay healthy and i'm really am struggling with it i'm going by a bible scripture in philippians chapter 4 verse 13 i can do all things through christ who strengthens me maybe i can get some get some advice from you guys
1: yeah you know it it is a struggle and especially uh, any habit uh and you know changing your habits of eating Uh, as with any habit, um, it's like you're trying to crawl out of a rut that you've been in. Uh, Now, keep in mind, every time that you say no to the temptation to eat either something or time or an amount you shouldn't be eating, which is usually that covers every aspect of a diet, um, you make it easier next time. Let me see if I can put it this way for you, and that might help you. You have been walking down a trail, a particular trail for years and you've gotten used to it and it's clear and it's easy but it's the trails going the wrong way now you've got to plow a new trail but there's thorn bushes and things that are blocking the trail and the first time you go through you got to hack your way through and you're tripping and it's, it's a it's a real problem do you know what the next time you take that trail you did plow things down a little bit it gets a little easier and the next time it gets a little easier and every time you say no to temptation and you say yes to the right thing it makes it easier the next time. So one way that we overcome through the power of God is one moment at a time. It's day by day, sometimes hour by hour. Uh, For me, and I often refer back to this, one of my biggest struggles was um, uh, smoking. And they say sometimes quitting smoking is as hard as heroin. And I struggled, and boy, the first few days I'd quit smoking, I'd think about it just every few minutes. It's all. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I could barely make it from hour to hour. And, and I fell several times. But finally I quit and said enough's enough. And I made it, you know, a day, then two, then three. And now it's been 40 years. So you can do it. And um, I have a video. I think Pastor Ross heard it. Um, I actually had a food addiction. And I share this video of... How I overcame my addiction. All I'm going to do is tell you the title of it. It's a Doug Batchelor Cold Confession. If you want to take a listen to that, Becky, just go to YouTube, type in Doug Batchelor Cold Confession, and I'll tell you kind of, you'll hear me confess what my addiction was and uh, how the Lord helped me get the victory. And praise God, He's helped me keep the victory for about eight years now. Anyway,
2: Absolutely. It's a great sermon. Really encouraging for a lot of people. I remember, Pastor, when you actually got up and preached that sermon, you could hear a pin drop in the congregation, <laughs> at least at first when you said, I'm going to make a confession. <laughs> yeah, people want to hear attention. the minister <laughs> confess. <laughs> they, they don't know what to think. But it was extremely encouraging and, yeah, just a great blessing. And uh, take a look at that if you haven't, uh, Becky. I think you'll be blessed. If you have a Bible question, friends, we've got, all uh, oh, about 15, 16 minutes left. And uh, if I uh, you have a question that you're wondering about the Bible or the Christian life. The number to call is 800-463-7297. That's 800-463-7297. Next caller that we have is uh Taylor listening from Virginia. Taylor, welcome to the program.
4: I have a I have a question uh I, I don't really know if it counts much as a Christian question in general, but it's more about just kind of like what it is like once we get to heaven. But, uh okay.
1: Uh, fire away.
4: All right, uh my question is about the amount of free will we have in heaven. I, I was always confused like growing up um, in in the church where we were we were told that we had like free will to like do pretty much anything we wanted and yet it was in always in the boundaries of what was good and right and moral which is something that humanity in general is just not always good at. (laughs) Right. To say the least. I I was wondering if, like, once we reach heaven, are we beyond the reality of sin completely, or are we just absolved from it continually? But I don't know if that.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think I understand what you're saying. Will we still be free moral agents in heaven, or since we're beyond the possibility of being tempted... Does that mean we're no longer free? Um, you know, I might answer that, and hopefully I'm, I'm rightly restating your question, but I might answer that by saying um, you, there is a law that says you're not supposed to murder your children. Most people don't think very much about that law because most people don't want to murder their children. It's kind of a very bizarre perversion when it's, you know, one in a million parents that would think such a thing. Because most parents, they love their children, and it's the last thing that would ever come into their mind. Now, they're free to murder their children, <laughs> if you wanted to. I mean, you know what I'm saying? They, they've got the ability, but um, they don't think about it because they love their children. In heaven, we'll still have that freedom to sin, but now we are so full of the love of God and love for one another that when you look at the Ten Commandments, we are keeping them now because we love. And so are we still free moral, moral agents? Yes. You can read in the book of Nahum that sin will not rise up the second time. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he still had the scars from his crucifixion in his hands. That'll be a perpetual reminder of what sin costs and we won't want to ever sin again, not to mention the devil has gone.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, again, you can't have true love without freedom. And the whole experiment with sin proves that. And the devil will take worship any way he can get it, but God can only accept worship that is freely given. Well, that's true for the rest of eternity. God still will accept worship freely given. Of course, we won't want to not worship him because we've seen what sin can do.
1: Yeah, and, and that's we'll the love difference. him. It'll be our greatest joy. Yep, absolutely.
2: Yep. Good question. Thank you, Taylor. We've got uh, Sean listening from Oklahoma. Sean, welcome to the program.
4: I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart, guys. I watch Amazing Facts, and I follow you guys and listen to YouTube all the time.
1: Oh, that means a lot. We appreciate that. Thank you. All
4: right. Um, my question is, uh, I know it's called the millennial reign, and it's, millennial means uh, like 1,000 years, but is there anything going to happen after that?
1: Yeah. It, well, we have, we'll offer you a lesson on that in just a minute, but um, at the conclusion of the 1,000 years, and for our friends that are listening, you find the verses on the 1,000 years, sometimes called the millennium. The word millennium is milli annum; It just means 1,000 years. You'll find that in Revelation chapter 20, and you can find allusions to the thousand years in a few other places in the Bible, but most of it's there in Revelation 20, and it tells us that the devil is tied up for a thousand years, and after the thousand years, he is loosed for a little season, Uh, and it says the rest of the dead don't live again till the thousand years are finished, so at the end of the one thousand years, the rest of the dead live again, that's all the lost, dead in Christ rise first. If all the dead in Christ rise first, the only dead that are left are the dead out of Christ or the lost, the wicked. They're resurrected. And um, Satan is now loose because he has someone to tempt. The Bible refers to this mass of all the lost who've ever lived in the resurrection of the, the lost is uh, or the second resurrection as Gog and Magog. They're, those are ancient enemies of God's people. And the devil will um, stir them to launch an assault on the city of God. So they surround the beloved city, the camp of the saints and fire comes down from God out of heaven and devours them. Now you'll also find that, uh, that, that passage in revelation 20 is also taken from Ezekiel 37 and 38 talks about Gog and Magog. They surround my people like a cloud, very same words that you're going to find in revelation. And then God fights for his people. Then, um, God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth following that. So uh, it's a it's a very interesting time. Now we have a lesson that talks about that thousand years of peace. Is that still the title? It is. It's
2: called A Thousand Years of Peace. It's one of our amazing facts study guides. Gets into quite a bit of detail about what happens uh, during that thousand years, what will happen at the end of the thousand years. To receive it, all you have to do is call the number 800-835-6747. That is our resource phone line, 800-835-6747. As for the study guide, it's called A Thousand Years of Peace, and we'll be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks. And a great study, really exciting uh, subject. So thanks for your call, Sean. We've got uh, Milo listening from uh, Rhode Island. Milo, welcome to the
1: program. Oh, Milo. Hey. Hey,
5: can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, how are you?
1: Doing great. How can we help you tonight?
5: So um just been recently saved um you can say I've been saved for about four to five months you can say yeah five
1: congratulations praise God
5: appreciate it Amen Amen and I'm um, I'm so grateful and um I have this desire to you know minister and disciple and just to assist God as much as possible but I don't know where to go whether north south east or west or who to talk to and um. I just don't even know how to even jumpstart quote unquote, my Christian career. So to say, so how do I, you know, find my purpose and my will uh, of God?
1: Well, I I know exactly how you feel. Uh, Well, I think I do, but I was in the same boat after I came to the Lord. I, instead of, you know, I was living in a cave. I wanted to get away from people and I came to the Lord. Now I wanted to tell everybody. And um, I was just, I'd say, Lord, you know, what do you want me to do now? I wanted things to happen right away and God wanted me to take some more time to study and get grounded. And so things did not happen right away, but God certainly did guide. He did open the doors. Keep in mind, Moses said, Lord, I'm ready for you to use me. I'm ready to lead the people out of Egypt. And he said, matter of fact, before God told him, he thought he'd do it on his own. And uh, he killed an Egyptian and thought he'd get everybody to rally behind him. And next thing he knew, he was out in the wilderness for a few years. <laughs> so Paul, after he was converted, he went to Arabia for a couple of years anyway. Yeah. And he was studying there and getting grounded. And then he was very effective. Your next step may be going to school. You might even consider the Amazing Facts AFCO program. I don't know if the Lord just told me to say that or. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would encourage anyone listening who wants to
2: be of service, uh, begin by, by really grounding yourself in the Practical Truths of the Bible. Amazing Facts has a free course. We call it the the Bible School. And uh, that's a great starting point for anyone wanting to learn what does the Bible have to say on a number of important topics. Once you learn and you discover these truths and you're able to learn them for yourself, Mm -hmm. then you're in a position to share them with somebody else.
1: So Milo, if you go to the website that says Bible Universe, if you go to BibleUniverse.com, there's a series of Bible studies you can go through there for free. And that will really ground you. I also have a book we'll send you for free, and it's called How Do I Know the Will of God or Determining the Will of God. And it'll give you steps to know God's will for you, and I think it'll give you peace. that If you follow those steps, he will, He'll be guiding you, even if part of that means waiting. He'll be guiding you. You don't need to worry.
2: If you'd like to receive the book as mentioned by Pastor Doug, the number to call is 800-835-6747. Determining the Will of God, just call and ask for that and we'll be happy to send it to you. And again, you can go to the Amazing Facts website or Bible Universe and you can enroll in the free Amazing Facts Bible Study School. Just a lot of good information. We also have, just thought of one other thing Pastor Doug, we have a program called the uh, AFCO Online Course. It's actually a series of online classes that a person can take that brings them through fundamental doctrines of the Bible, but also how do you share your faith? It's great Practical ministerial and mission training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some good resources out there. All right, we've got Vanessa listening from New York. Vanessa, welcome to the program.
4: Hi.
2: Hi.
5: Okay, so I've been struggling with marijuana addiction and um, I quit, um, but everyone in my house smokes so it's been a little difficult. Do you have any advice for me to avoid temptation?
1: Yeah, well, like the last phone call, I can relate, because when I became a Christian, all of my friends smoked pot. In fact, one of the things I had to do when I became a Christian, I became convicted to pull up my pot plants. Now I didn't know any better. I pulled them up and gave them to someone. I probably should have thrown them away, but I was I was still pretty young, uh, and then all of my friends that I hung out with. Uh, they kept smoking pot and offering it to me and I was around it and I was probably getting high off secondhand smoke, but I wouldn't smoke it anymore. But I finally, I just started finding other friends because the environment just was not good. So I don't know how you can completely escape your environment. You may not be in a situation where you could do that because it could be your family. Um, you can just ask them to respect your decision. And when that, the behavior is happening, you just try and get into another room and, uh, uh, avoid that contact as much as possible. Um, and, and there's a book we'd like to send you. It's called Tips for Resisting Temptation because, you know, I was tempted when my friends would pass the joint to take another drag and go back into it again. And and it can be a struggle. Praise God I didn't. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's around you all the time, whether it's alcohol or pot. The number to call again is
2: 800-835-6747, and the free book is called Tips for Resisting Temptation. We'd encourage anyone to call and ask for that, and just some practical, good Bible encouragement on how we can resist temptation. And if you're trying to live a Christian life, you will have temptation, because the devil's not happy, but you can overcome in the strength of Christ. Our next caller that we have, I think we have time for one more. We've got um, Alamay, listening in Canada. Alamay, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, thank you for having me. Yes. Um, or listening to my question. So Second Peter um, one verse five says, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance. And someone told me that self control or temperance is a gift from God. Like um like the Holy Spirit it gives it, it gives people gifts as it thinks, you know, you should get a gift. But I think self-control is more from a person. A person makes a decision, and God gives you the strength to practice self-control. Am I wrong if if I think of that? Is there a Bible verse that tells you that self-control is a gift that you get from God?
1: Well, that's a great question. Uh, and when you look at the virtues that Peter itemizes here in Second uh, Peter, uh, chapter one. And he says, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. It's like everything's building up to love. Well, these are fruits of the spirit. But you know, you can actually, you can seek knowledge. Uh, when God gives you the gift of knowledge, you're not laying on your bed and all of a sudden he starts pouring knowledge into your head. Uh, I think what happens is, you the Lord gives you hunger for uh, knowledge and you feed your mind, you feed your soul, the Holy Spirit will then bring those things to remembrance. I think when you make an effort to resist some temptation to exercise self-control, whether it's in something you do, eat or say, some people struggle with self-control over their words, the Holy Spirit will then come to your aid. So it's choosing these things. If That's why Peter mentions them. He wants us to choose virtue, self-control, kindness and all these different gifts. And the Spirit then empowers us in performing those things.
2: You know, just to add to that, Pastor, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. So one of the evidences that the Holy Spirit is working within the life of a believer or a person is love, joy, peace, and so on, and self-control. That's one of those identifying fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's important for Christians to be able to have that. I mean, it's nothing will hinder your witness if somebody loses their temper or can't control themselves. It's not a good witness.
1: Absolutely. So appreciate that, Almey. Hopefully that helps a little bit. And um, I want to tell our friends who are listening right now, we don't have time to take another question uh, live on the air, but what we do is we come back after a brief break and we end up doing some rapid-fire Bible questions. Now, I, it always takes a little explaining, but we broadcast Amazing Facts, Bible Answers live on hundreds of stations around the country. One of the main stations is satellite and is uh, all over the North America on satellite. But then after that, we're going to come back. Don't go away. Those of you who are on the other stations, we're going to come back and we're going to do rapid-fire internet questions that have come in. God bless and be right back.
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California.
2: Hello, friends. Welcome back to Bible Answers Live. For those of you who stayed by, we're going to be looking at some uh, Bible questions that came in from our listeners. If you would like to post a Bible question or email us a Bible question, you can do so by simply emailing balquestions at amazingfacts.org. First one that we have is in Mark chapter 9, what does Jesus mean when he said that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God?
1: Yeah, the key is what happens right after he makes that statement. You'll find that in not only Mark chapter 9, you'll find it in Matthew and you'll also find it in Luke. And immediately after he makes this cryptic statement, some of you standing here will not taste of death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. It says after six days, he took them up to this tall mountain and he was transfigured before them. And Moses appears, and Elijah appears, and the voice of God speaks and says, this is my beloved son, and the disciples are cowering. They got a miniature picture of the second coming. They saw Christ in his glory on the right hand of power. And they spoke to Moses, who represents those who died and are resurrected, and they saw Elijah there, who represents those who died and are translated. The whole thing was a microcosm of the second coming. The statement of Jesus was introducing what was about to happen and uh, basically telling us we need a mountaintop experience to prepare for the cross and what's coming. Okay, next question that we have, what is the significance of Palm Sunday? Yeah, now uh, there are, of course, uh, millions of Catholic people around the world that celebrate Palm Sunday. That's because it, uh, when Jesus had the triumphal entry, they would wave palms before him, and it's talking about the week immediately prior to the crucifixion. And so they've made a festival or a holiday out of that. There's no command in the Bible to do that, but that's the reason that our Catholic friends have picked that day. Uh, what
2: was Jesus doing after he ascended to heaven to be with the Father?
1: Well, he, the Bible says he ever lives, and this is in Hebrews, he ever lives to make intercession for us. And so he is our high priest, and so he's there now, he's in the Holy of Holies before the Father, uh, interceding for us, Uh, he's our advocate. Next question that we have, um, is there more than one Passover spoken of in the Bible? Well, Passover was an annual feast, and so uh, there several times they celebrated Passover, but it only came once a year, and of course Jesus, during the Last Supper, was celebrating Passover with the disciples. Well, that's probably all we're gonna to get to tonight, Pastor Ross. We wanna thank our friends for joining us on Bible Answers Live, and we look forward to studying God's word with you again next week.
0: This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific time to take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast. Call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live, honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.